welcome everyone to second edition of uh, London Dialogues. And uh, today we have with us Vivek Agnihotri, filmmaker, author, social political commentator, and uh, how he would like everyone to believe in themselves, a Buddha. Uh, so welcome, Vivek. Uh, Thank you. Thank really you. Nice having you today here. So the topic today we, that we are addressing is uh, the stories that we don't tell. So we are going to explore some set systems and how if there are any kind of narratives that we are discouraged to explore or discouraged to tell. Uh, before I jump into that topic, uh, Vivek, uh, I would want to hear from you your journey. First, into filmmaking and second, from filmmaking to Buddha. <laughs> First of all, thanks a lot for inviting me, you know, uh, for two reasons. A, London is one of my favorite cities, in fact. I always say that is my first city where I was uh, never got a uh, chance to live. Uh, <laughs> and but, if I believe you shot your first movie also here, right? Your first two movies, actually, both Chocolate right. and Goal, I shot there. In fact, right. uh, in Goal, I got stuck there for some technical reasons. So I spent six to nine months there nonstop. I was staying in one apartment in St. James Court Hotel, you know, and mm -hmm. so I got stuck mm -hmm. in the apartment alone in the winter of... Uh, but besides that, I always make sure to stop by at London, spend a lot of time with great friends. So that right. is one reason why I'm so delighted to be here. And second is, uh, it is uh, Indic Academy. And um, Indic Academy is like, uh, we are uh, very close to each other. We work a lot with each other. We have same <laughs> objective. And I'm happy to be with this London Dialogues. It's a great initiative. Thank you. The journey, I don't know. See, I'll tell you what, I'm not one of those typical people, you know. So, um, like I tell you, when I came to the film industry, everybody I used to meet, they always talk about their struggle a lot. You know, when I came to Peshawar, I had 100 rupees in my gym, then I slept on the station, I did this. I've done everything. I mean, but I don't know why, because... Uh, I'm a small town, middle class upbringing uh, kind of a person. So to me, those things were not unusual things, you know. They were, yeah, not, right. like, they were not something which are highlights of my life, you know. Uh, and it's something I don't even remember. Now, since you asked me, I remember when I came to Bombay, I was living in Pali Hill and um, I used to have, for 10 rupees, I would get some 12 Golgappas and that... I made sure that was my dinner because I didn't have much money. But now these things don't matter. As far as journey is concerned, for me, the psychological journey is more important than the physical journey, you know. What's the point of making all these kind of physical journeys and in the end you die as somebody unfulfilled and without finding the purpose of your life. So for me, uh, it's the psychological journey which is very important. Your question was, what has been your journey from filmmaking to Buddha? So, uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question with being conscious that filmmaking has not been left behind. It, yeah. right? So, it's not that you have traveled from there, your filmmaking with you has traveled towards Buddha. Uh, but actually, I don't know subconsciously or I don't know how very, in a very, um, in a very surreal manner, you asked a question which has actually. Uh, made me introspect and it's a brilliant question because uh, honestly I tell you I left filmmaking I don't make films anymore this That's is something right. I mean it's very difficult for people to understand this I was making films earlier and um, 
uh, chocolate gold all those films which i made were obviously they were movies they were movies because films because they were made with the intent of going to the box office and recovering money so commercially they were films second thing the stories which were chosen were what what people wanted to see today you are not going to make a product which your nobody wants to buy certainly mm-hmm. you are not going to do that people are not even willing to write a tweet which is not going to go popular so forget about the movies so in that um, way obviously the movies i was making were made with the intention what people wanted to see and hear kya chalega market and third thing was that i was using all the possible crutches and ingredients which are required to make a movie like film stars big locations uh, popular subjects music action all kinds of ingredients i was putting into them so of course 100% intent was to make movies for consumption right. and it they were catering primarily to a certain target audience at mm-hmm. time they were also playing to the gallery but what happened was that um, one big film i was doing with a big star and what i realized was that somehow in this system your movies as big or as small as the star is so today if star is here your movie is there if star goes down your movie goes down so you are so dependent on the star and not on the content not on the subject and second thing is what you are delivering is not your voice mm-hmm. what you are saying is not your voice you are playing to the gallery you are saying what people want to hear so right. to for the modern millennial digital generation to make it very simple like on twitter and instagram you are not putting your face out there you are putting a face which you think will get more likes or more will go viral you are tweeting uh, what is not your true nature but you are tweeting what you think people will forward more or retweet more so the truth never comes out right. so once i realized that and i also was at a point of time in life when i didn't have fear to lose anything and i quit uh, bollywood and i started go i started teaching doing seminars and uh, two two years of unemployment actually Mm-hmm. and in that process when i was um, at indian school of business i was doing a workshop and the workshop was called i am buddha but mm-hmm. i am buddha there meant about leadership you know and in management yes. and that's where uh, what i was seeking i found which was total independence freedom to tell my story so when i made this film buddha in a traffic jam which was uh, which had all the ingredients what shouldn't be there in the recipe for example you shouldn't um, blame naxals you shouldn't um, uh, blame professors or teachers uh, you cannot uh, make a film without any stars you cannot make a film without any drama or comedy or action it had nothing in fact it was not like a film it was in uh, 10 chapters there were 10 chapters, different right. chapters the, yeah different chapters and totally uh non linear they had no connection with each other and you had to apply a lot of mind to understand and it was very verbose people were talking all the times and they were talking very serious issues in fact they were discussing the kind of politics which nobody is interested in they were right. talking about the concepts of communism socialism etc etc you know so everything was no 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 in that film so obviously when the film was seen by the distributors producers everybody lot of people felt threatened lot of people were against it lot of people said what shit you have made 
So I was for six years sitting with that film doing nothing and totally unemployed and when life becomes totally dark and you don't know where to go. And that's when the realization happened actually. And Nilendra, I'm telling you very honestly, I've said it many times, that's when the realization <laughs> happened. I remember the day it was, so, it was gloomy, dark, raining, you know, in Bombay when it rains, it gets very dark. <laughs> it was one of those times. And then I said, why am I depending on others? It is my thought, my idea, my story. Then I can do anything I want to do with this. So I, in that flash of a moment, I forgot it was a film. I said, it's a story. It's a, it's a, it's a story which I have to take to people. And that's when I decided to take it door to door in all the colleges and universities. Then rest right. is history. I right. applied to JNU, they yeah. rejected and now things happen. And then the universe conspired to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so, since then, yeah. since then I never made a film. I'm just telling stories in, in books and in speeches in camera or whatever, you know. Right. So that very film, the Buddha in a traffic jam actually triggered the topic that I want to discuss with you is that. Uh, uh, so the stories that we don't tell is something is a thought process that I started thinking on after watching that movie. And I'll contextualize the question, but let me first put the question out. Uh, the question is, is there an unsaid code of silence when it comes to certain kind of narratives in Hindi filmmaking, especially political, religious, social, right? That you cannot broach some topics or you cannot show, so, show some angles, right? And let me contextualize it in frame of that movie. Uh, so we have had movies which talked about militancy. Essentially, two perspectives. One, either it romanticizes the militancy and violence, or it shows the bravado of the security forces that how effectively they have curbed the violence, right? Yeah. But in both perspectives, somehow as an audience, this whole thing that was happening with violence was in a distant place. The story tells about a place where you as an audience have no relationship with. What your movie did was that it bought that whole environment right next to my college seat. Right. As a student, I would think that the person sitting next to me can also be a part of Nexus. Uh, the story was then became very real for everyone who's watching in a city. It's not happening somewhere in Bastar or in a remote place in Nandra or in Odisha or in Bengal. It could be in Delhi. It could be in Bombay, right? So, and that perspective is generally not told. Even if you make it broader and you look at other kind of movies, which made in politics or the story is the way narrative sudden, they are all the actual events are a backdrop. They are not really being discussed, nuance are not being put out. So do you think there is a unsaid code of silence on these kind of narratives? I wouldn't call it unsaid. I would say it is very well-written constitution, you know, and we are fighting against that constitution, you know, and this constitution uh, is a narrative constitution. And <laughs> it was written uh, first, First, it was written by Mughals, and then it was written by Britishers, and then it was written by um, uh, independent India. And that constitution mm -hmm. is as simple as this, that uh, when education, art, literature, and culture, okay, these, these are the four, broadly speaking, and media, broadly speaking, uh, construct the narrative of a society. Right. So academics, uh, media, art, culture, and literature. And slowly, these are codings, you know, if when I'm, when I'm, I'm a say, uh, seven, eight year old child, and if I see 
uh, plays or I do plays in my school, you know, uh, which talk a lot about, say, uh, Akbar the Great. So in my mind, somewhere subconsciously, there will be a coding that greatness is associated to Akbar. Yeah. You know, then everything related to Akbar anywhere in the world will remind me of greatness. This is coding. It's a science of communication. Right. Yeah. Or Ashoka. If I, so people who grow up thinking that Ram was great, they will find everything associated with Ram. So when you talk about Mariada or values or, you know, things like yeah. that. So this is coding. Now coding happens when you are very young. So education <laughs> is very, very extremely important. Then the second thing is, Nobody has patience to listen to long stories. So stories also come to us in forms of dance and songs and music, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Like, for example, I'm sorry, I'm elaborating it. No, 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 no. no. So Because it's a very important issue and not many so, people talk about it in a logical framework. If I can interrupt you for a second. So I couldn't frame a single question for our discussion. I just could think of broader topics because the minute I would sit down to frame a question, I would myself start censoring my question out of that, that can I ask this? Can I raise question on this? Right. So yeah. I totally get what you're saying. So, uh, for example, so this is all coding, which was, which can be done through music, through dance, just to give you a small example, you must mm -hmm. have, I have noticed when I came to this film industry, people would say, Namaste, this, that, God forward, oh my God, oh Jesus, and all kind of expressions they used to use, you know, with that exclamation. Now, in last seven, eight years, I have noticed myself that for everything people say, Inshallah, Mashallah, Allah, Khuda, in general talk, outside the right. screen, you know, off camera, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. they talk. Now, why is this happening? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens because when you're stars, you see when Shah Rukh Khan talks, he's always saying, Allah ka shukru to yoga, inshallah yoga. And look at your lyrics. The lyrics in movie are always talking about kafir and Allah and Rab and Khuda and these kind of things, you know. Mm -hmm. So these are codings mm -hmm. and slowly it becomes your jargon. It becomes your language. You must have also noticed that because these modern uh, directors, young directors who, are, who have grown up in Bombay, they cannot speak good Hindi. Right. They don't know India. So what they have done is, they said, Are, humko bol chal ki mein so they've started using this English and very Bambaya kind of a language with slangs, etc, etc. And they said, mm -hmm. this is cool. No, this is not cool because you do not know the language. That's why you are speaking that language. Nobody right. in this world shies from speaking good language. If you can speak good language, why not speak? So you right. coding hai na, so communists controlled it. And they controlled it because Jawaharlal Nehru wanted the support of socialists. Then Indira Gandhi wanted the support of communists. So it was mm -hmm. barter to them. In barter, they said to support Congress, we need these things. And that's why if you see, look at all the education ministers of India, you'll find they come from a very strong communist bent of mind. If you look at all these people who have controlled these uh, literary uh, societies, like in Madhya Pradesh, Bharat Bhavan. Bharat Bhavan was the um, apex body of art, literature, culture, drama, painting, and everything. It was controlled by Ashok Bajpayee, who's a strong leftist. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. all these Kala Academies, this Academy, and all those kind of things in India, including CBFC and the National Film Development Corporation. That's why you see all the National Film Development Corporation films. Right. Always, always 
were uh, centered around caste discrimination. Mm -hmm. They were mm -hmm. always centered around class conflict, and they mm -hmm. always portrayed upper caste as villains and the lower caste as always somebody who's victimized. All the films right. supported by NFDC, you will find they glorified terrorists and Naxals and the people who mm -hmm. actually pick up arms to kill people. They always right. show government servants and police as oppressors. Now, these are template narratives of communists, whether in US or in UK, in China or India. These are templates, you know. Mm -hmm. So there was so slowly a written code of conduct a written a sort of kind of a constitution came into place which said that a you cannot uh, glorify uh, great indian values because in cinema if you see it was totally controlled by communists all the great directors right from bimal roy to mahbub khan saab to you name it gurudat and everybody and all the great actors valrat sani to anybody all of them came from ipta most of these right. music directors uh -huh. and writers and directors came from Bengal, you know, because cinema was more evolved in Bengal and they had great stories. So they came to Mumbai. Mm -hmm. So therefore, cinema was always under control of communists. Education was always under control of communists. And which is why we, we do not, our children, even of my generation, do not know even two, three great names of great Indian kings of great Indian empires, but we know everything about the Mughal Empire. We know everything about Lord Curzon, but we do not know uh, much about our own revolutionaries or whatever. This right. is the problem. We have grown up with communist education. And which is why you will find in Tashkan files, I have explained in detail how India became a colony of KGB. So right. that's why I was attacked because I tried to make a film where I uh, exposed the education system and the professors and how professors in India are recruiting young boys and girls to become so, enemies of India. So that's exactly what I was going to ask you. And uh, I have read your book, Urban Naxal, uh, yeah. which was much uh, demonized when you put that the term out there. And uh, so what happens when you break this code of silence? when you start showing the perspective, which is not supposed to be shown. So you, when you started going to college to show you, A, I think you could not distribute your movie through the traditional channels. And when you started going to campuses, there was a blockade pretty much in every campus. They wouldn't allow you to show the movie, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I read your book and the book, you name a lot of people through your journey that what happened. So what was your experience of trying to tell a story which in your own words has every kind of nose that shouldn't be told? See, my first thing was, see, at that time, I didn't know much of politics. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not that I, I was a novice, but I was not interested in that kind of a politics. I was more like mm -hmm. a political analyst rather than an active participant. So first thing I realized that people were opposing without even knowing what is inside the film. They had not seen the film. They had no idea what was in the film, but they were opposing it because a word had spread that the book, or oh, sorry, the film is anti-Naxal. Mm -hmm. Now in India, anti-Naxal uh, narrative is kind of impossible. Indira Gandhi was attacked by Naxals, but she never spoke against them. Most of the chief ministers suffer from Naxalism. They don't speak against it. Indian prime ministers 
once here and there spoke against it. In fact, Manmohan Singh spoke against it. He talked about <laughs> urban nationalism in the in the parliament under his government. Yeah. The Home Minister spoke about it. Uh, Manmohan Singh's government filed an affidavit in Supreme Court. They <laughs> used the word urban Maoist. I did not start it. In fact, they, that government started one of the largest operation, Operation Greenhorn, against the yes, they Greenhorn. They sorry. started that. You know, so but openly to the masses, nobody spoke about it. Right. Nobody ever addressed it. Everybody knew that JNU students are recruited in Jadapur, JNU, Osmania, all these universities. Nobody spoke about it. All the filmmakers showed them as nice people, good people, messiahs for poor, doing great social work. Even this wonderful film, see Newton. There also they show Naxals as like good people. So when you glorify villains of the society, we have glorified dacoits. Mm-hmm. We have glorified yeah. mafia people. We have glorified terrorists in Kashmir. We have glorified our Naxals. We glorify all these people who are basically anti-social elements who are against the state. And this mm-hmm. is a communist mindset. It's a communist influence and control over education, media, and art and literature. And which is why you'll find this new generation today, without knowing anything, goes out and supports CAA or the, yeah. the, the new farmers uh, protest, which is a 100% communist and Congress-sponsored uh, right. uh, protest. It's not a real farmer protest. This is the problem of this country that we protect the enemies mm-hmm. of this country. And which is why India doesn't grow and develop as fast as it should. Because the agenda of communist people is to keep India distracted with these kind of uh, things and do not let it grow and develop. Because India's development, India's rising as a, a, a secondary superpower in this region of Asia is a direct threat to Russia and China. Right. And right. this is why they control India and uh, sort of create these hurdles and speed breakers in India's growth through this strong intellectual narrative. And which is why they came after me, because I was entering their territory and I was demolishing their uh, narrative, which is why you see, I'm one of the most trolled person, though I yeah. 80% of my narrative is around spirituality and creativity, still they troll me because one tweet of mine threatens their entire uh, facade of uh, intellectualism. Yes, I mean, I will give you, give you that. Two words of yours actually created a furor around and which carried on for years. Urban Naxals kind of, you made it household word. Everyone knows what to use when they're referring to someone who supports Naxal. It was unintentional though. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll come to Tashkent Files. So Tashkent Files, so I, I, I would understand a big furor about around the Buddha, Buddha and the traffic jam. One could imagine that it would uh, poke some into some people. Tashkan file, honestly, would be expected to be a very wanting film. Why would you not want to know what happened to a very loved XPM of the country? But that also kind of created a furor. Everyone started. To, so there were multiple allegations which came in. One is that somehow you're trying to be divisive. I, to be honest, I don't understand how that movie can be divisive. Uh, second was that you were trying to be an opportunist just to capitalize on the sentiment. Now you're getting into that topic, right? Uh, how well, How do you think that movie was a narrative breaking or uh, 
is why there is an effective opposition when we try to talk about any political leader or big name. And I've seen that happening with Bastian uh, Bose also, that whenever you try to put his name out, or Sadar Patil's name out, there is an effective opposition. That why are we even talking about these people? So that, that also narrative break is also there. Okay, so first I would like to say something I never say, but today I want to say, people have to understand that I'm a very genuine person. My intentions are so genuine, I can't explain it. My heart beats only for India. My heart beats only for the younger generation. And the only reason I'm doing all this and the sacrifices I am making with my career and everything is for the simple reason, because when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. I always felt that in this country, there is no truth, no justice. And despite knowing it, we don't do anything. And the people who suffer most because of this are the youth, the younger generation. Because right. when you are a 18, when you are 20 year old man, boy or a girl, you have only 20 years of past, but you have 60, 70 years of future. True. True. And these 60 year old people who have 60 years of past and just 10 or 20 years of future are not letting these young people imagine and visualize a great country the way they want mm -hmm. to. And I always felt suppressed. And since then, and I was, I was so proud of India. I'm a son of both my mother and father were freedom fighters. I have grown mm -hmm. up only with uh, these kind of people who have immense love for the country, who sacrifice. So I said, whenever I get a chance in my life, I'll do something for the country. I was in US. I gave up my green card. I came back. Right. I was in advertising. A filthy, rich, amazingly great, successful career. I gave everything up. I was making commercial cinema with stars and living that kind. Of, I gave up everything. And today I live a life of a very ordinary man. Why am I doing this? I am doing this for the simple reason, if through my art, I can awaken young people, make them aware that it, your first fundamental right is right to truth. Unless and until you have right to truth, whether it's a BJP government or Congress government, damn with it, whoever is there. The, the government of India, the institutions of India must tell you the truth. And if you don't know the truth about the first prime minister, second prime minister of this country, how will you know yeah. the truth about anybody else? True. That was my intent. And which is why I made that film. Now my next film, which I'm making, Kashmir Files, the whole theme is right to justice. Right. And I'm not going to stop. I'm going to pick up these fundamental rights of a human being and liberty and freedom and freedom of speech. So coming back to Tashkent Files, the film was about right to truth. That is the theme of the film. Right. Chastri is just a device. It's an interesting story. And the mm -hmm. thing is, opportunist, why? Shastri doesn't suit BJP. Shastri doesn't suit RSS. Shastri yep. doesn't suit Congress. Shastri doesn't suit. He's the most uh, political, political figure who True. is like, nobody cares about. If I mm -hmm. make on, say, Swashan Bose, oh my God, Bengali community comes along with you, uh, anti-Congress people come with you, anti-Nehru people come with you, with Shasi, nothing happens. Exactly. So that's what was my amazement, that this person is probably the most neutral PM in the history yeah. of India. Nobody really, everyone respects him, nobody really rallies for him, nobody really opposes him, and yet a furor when somebody tries to put a story about, out about him. Right. Okay. So the people 
who actually opposed Shastri when he was the prime minister, the same people with the same ideal ideology were also opposing my film. Right. And the same people oppose Narendra Modi. It's not that I'm saying Narendra Modi is the greatest prime minister or not. I'm not getting into that thing. All I'm saying is any the same people will oppose anybody who comes from the roots of India. They don't like rooted people. They don't like people like me or people like Shastri or anybody who basically speaks for the common masses, who speaks for the mothers of India, who speaks for the real genuine Indians. Because then they lose a the narrative. Right. Then the, minute they, the minute they support these people, Indian values come into play. With Indian values come sacrifice, simplicity, spirituality. And they have no control over these things. What is their right. control? You know, their control is on this Western-style liberty and freedom, Western-style feminism, the Western-style constitution, the Western-style justice. That is their strength. So they want to control it. That's why they love Nehru. It's not that mm -hmm. Nehru was such a bad man as it's been portrayed today in this uh, superficial narrative uh, fights. Nehru was a great man. I have read his discovery of India. He was a great thinker. He had great vision for India. And he loved India. It's not that he hated India. But he was in control of these people. And Nehru liked superficial, this Western style of uh, concept of freedom and liberty. But right. if, you, if you pick up the rooted people, then freedom has to come from within. The liberty comes from within. Then you have to sacrifice. Then you have to be simple. Then you have to have Sada Jeevan Nuchivichar. Then you cannot have these champagne and wine clubs. So they lose their entire ideology, lifestyle and the money sources, which is right. why they are against people like me. This is why they came after the Tashkan file. They knew that since I am making it, it will anything Modi does today, they, they are against it without even knowing what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is the problem. Right. So do you think now with internet being very pervasive in the society, a lot of in last five years, India has doubled the number of internet user. A lot of different alternative media mediums have come through. This control is somehow breaking. People are on local platform making a lot of different kind of content. The stories are coming out, which would not be told earlier. And even if they're not coming out, a lot of people are asking for those stories. Do you think that shift is happening now? Of course, yes. Of course, yes. And for this, I would like to give credit to... Uh... Um, Indian Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he made it fashionable. He empowered people. He made people realize that you can use this medium for victory. Mm -hmm. If he had not won 2014, right. people wouldn't have been empowered thinking that, yes, you can win it. So at least people now are telling their stories. Now let me mm -hmm. give you a recent example, which is Maharashtra. Now in Maharashtra, with this tyranny of the government, when they, this, they sent cops to my house to uh, shut me up, then they demolished Kangna's house and then they arrested Arnab or whatever. Now, if without this tasting blood of victory through social media, everybody would have shut up. Right. But people right. use social media to be kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting. Ultimately, uh, Udav Thakre's government had to concede. And right. which is why the High Court and Supreme Court have also um, told them that they were wrong or whatever the decision came. I have not studied it. 
so now at least people are listening to these stories people are telling these stories which is a good sign but there is a problem the problem is that somewhere uh, typically a middle class indian people don't know how to build stories how to create a narrative you know creating narrative depends on the products you create right. so what right. is happening people come tweet post something they blah 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 and they outrage and then just go away you know and that's what i don't agree with i think people should and that's why you see in last 6 7 years i have created so many films short films books articles because you have to create digital footprints in modern times right. the info war and the media war has to be won by creating digital products right you know right. and that's where i run a foundation called i am buddha foundation where we are trying to empower finance sponsor uh, give scholarships to young boys and girls who create mm-hmm. product right right so on that note so yes social media has helped and a lot of people have come forward but the presence of ott has also kind of given a reinforcement channel for the mainstream narrative that was there to be dri- driven home and to a very large audience right so good thing is that we also see a massive opposition to that a lot of people come start questioning that why my state is shown in this light and do you guys think that we go around shooting people and somehow and it's my personal observation to be honest uh, somehow there is a very template material that has been created that uh, in up you have two big gangsters and people are just going around killing on the road and that's the best kind of ott creation that is coming out of the mainstream uh, you pick a major city and the story is again just of a crime that a major crime happens in that city so again do you think that these channels have also been actively trying to push one kind of narrative and we do not see any nuance there um uh, more than nuance i would say there is no diversity there that's true i mean that's the first and second even in the narrative that you're putting so i'm not countering that there is no crime happening in the city it's happening but when you're putting a narrative you are somehow trying to create a scenario as if these are not very nuanced very complex situation it's a very simple thing that people are just criminal minded and these people cannot do anything else other than killing so you have to look at it like this you know um first of all all these ott platforms are um western platform they are not indian platforms right okay and since i know and i deal with them directly so and they are most of them are leftist platforms you know and i'll give you one example for the kashmir files you know uh, one of the ott one of the largest and uh, number one uh, ott platform invited me and mm-hmm. so i'm making this thing on kashmir genocide but they told right. me that they that they were very keen to take this thing on kashmir genocide but they said i cannot use the word islamic terrorism okay uh, i said but then how do you make this because it actually happened it's like you are saying that um, uh, do a film on holocaust but don't mm. use the word nazi nazi yeah how is that possible so they said no but then you blame both the sides i said what is both the sides how can you blame the victims they said no 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 then you because uh, other side people have also died so i said okay during the holocaust lots of nazis also died what do you do with that now the thing is so ultimately i walked off and we did not do it for them and now i'm doing independently with z studios 
so what i'm trying to say is that they have a certain mindset they believe that hindus and i'm not that kind of what people would like to after listening to this they would like to label me i'm not that i'm a very very open minded person and i don't yeah. get stuck into all these things but they come with the mindset that hindus are regressive lot and this mm-hmm. is the truth they think we are full of superstitious taboos and we are tribal kind of people and they come with the mindset that minorities are oppressed and exploited in this country and marginalized in this country so when you have this kind of a prejudice then ideologically you are just picking up and promoting certain kind of filmmakers and who are these filmmakers these are the filmmakers who themselves call they call themselves wokes liberals seculars leftists communists whatever they want to call it but they definitely do not call them ever indians bhartiya nationalists nothing of that sort mm-hmm. okay so definitely there are there are different kinds of people who have no emotional connect with india and 99% of them have not even seen india they don't even know india now having said that this is the kind of a background now you tell me something when india got the first opportunity to make the first ott show for mm-hmm. netflix why did we make sacred games i i was indicated so when i asked that question i was indicating on that that why why this... did we make a show which is full of perversion and not a show which is rooted in indian story mexico made narcos every country when they get an opportunity to make any ott show for netflix let's say if netflix is the king of uh, mm-hmm. all the ott platforms then what do they make they make stories of their own country even if they have to make crime movies or they have to make on social injustice they make it about social injustice of their own country yep now if mexico has to make on drugs it's a problem there india does not have a cocaine issue like they have colombia and all these countries right 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 india is not as pervert as shown in sacred games so they picked up something because the makers of that show were highly influenced by narcos and they wanted to compete with those people and not with indian they didn't care about indian they have nothing to do with indians now let's say mirzapur you were talking about Yeah. No, nobody in Mirzapur cares about Mirzapur. You go to Mirzapur, they don't care about it. That's true. And now these days we are making all these kind of perversion. And I'm on the board of CBFC, and I get so many people call me, send letters saying that why don't you regulate OTTs? Now the thing is, um, OTTs aren't regulated, and I'm against uh, any kind of state regulation. I personally am against it, despite being in CBFC. and but the problem is that the makers who are making it and the people who are commissioning it people who are sitting in these ott platform you make a list of all the names they are all leftist communists they are the people who have openly supported shaheen bag movement these are the people who stand behind free kashmir uh, people these are the people who support arundhati roy so now answer is very clear why are we making what we are making right uh, i'll move to kashmir file with a question from gautam is that uh, why so few indians know about the genocide of kashmiri pandits and that's that is a very 
that's a very basic question but that's a very prominent question that should be posted anywhere it's not an event that happens centuries ago it's not something which was a very small scale and uh, you know got lost in few months of news because something mm-hmm. that happened this probably is one of the biggest event that happened in last 20 30 years in india and it remained in news and kashmiri pandits or kashmiri in people in general are not a very small obscure community that you never heard of them they run successful business they are in successful position across the country so you know this community it's a recent past still very few people know about genocide events um okay i have something very interesting to tell you uh, i <laughs> always believe that yes socio politically i'm very aware because i keep reading a lot i listen a lot so when we decided to make this um, uh, film we said okay let's uh, since government of india failed to do these war testimonials of all the victims mm-hmm. and their families uh, we should do it so in our mind we formed a tribunal and we said okay we'll go wherever these families are uh, there and we'll do a video recording of uh, uninterrupted unedited recording of whatever they have to uh, tell about this thing genocide so we travel right. all over the world in fact i'm at um, gotham at that time i was in london last year same time actually so you won't believe it for almost 3 4 months as we interviewed these people in us uk europe south africa india jammu uh, pune bangalore wherever in the world they are you won't believe it for those 4 5 months um mm-hmm. in the towards the end i couldn't see because my eyes were swollen like this i kept crying 7 7 8 8 hours a day when people were talking and those are on video when i make the web series you'll see people are talking and i'm crying non stop why was i crying i wasn't crying because i was crying because people were killed and that somebody is telling me my father was cut into 50 pieces or somebody is telling what happened to his mother or daughter that's not why i was crying i'm a filmmaker pretty mature enough so such deaths and killings i have seen and read and um, um, i've i know a lot about it i was crying because i was feeling it was self pity i was feeling so guilty i was feeling so ashamed that how come i didn't know about it and that feeling in my entire life i have never felt that emotion never ever felt that emotion and i can mm-hmm. guarantee you when my film come you'll realize even you have not felt that emotion this is a very strange emotion it's such a strange emotion it feels like that you were in coma when you were know that you were not in coma and suddenly you wake up and somebody say this is what happened to you say oh no no nothing happened to me you know i was fully awake right it is right. such a i can't tell you it's a it's i mean there is nobody telling you that you failed you realize that it was happening in front of me and i didn't know right so why didn't i know why didn't i know i didn't know for two reasons a the state in a very systematic manner denied it state doesn't want you to know state didn't want you to know because then state looks like a failure yeah and let me let me say it very openly even today the government the uno has given it a status of a semi genocide and the mm-hmm. semi genocide because indian government has not called it a genocide till date right you know and 
there is no uh, war testimonials there there are no genocide testimonials mm-hmm. nobody has gone and reported how many people died there's not even one fir not even one person has been arrested bitta karate his interviews are available you can see it after this interview openly openly he says that he has killed yeah. 20 people he can kill his mother you see yasin malik's interview with bbc hard talk or whatever show was that yeah. in that he is confessing to kill of killing uh, air force officers what has happened so there is no justice second thing is nobody even once tried everybody has used kashmiri pandit issue every 5 years to get some votes here and there but nobody has tried to resettle them right even right. after one and a half years after the abrogation of article 370 there is not even one attempt to resettle them mm-hmm. and i can guarantee you it's not going to happen in long 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 time you know why because they are not a vote bank true true so that is the tragedy of a democracy if you are they are the minority of the minorities right they are the minority of the minority they were just 2% when the genocide happened in kashmir and they used to be 100% kashmir mm-hmm. the hindu population was 100% but yeah. by 1947 it was 5% and by uh, 1990 it was 2% 90. and today it's almost 0% or 0.1% or something like that as negligible so we have mm-hmm. lost kashmir in a civilizational war geographically we control it but we have actually lost kashmir and True. that's the, the, that perspective that is the tragedy that nobody knows that india has lost kashmir right and on that note i'll circle back to where we started is that recently we had a movie made on kashmir shikara and that's the very point i started this whole discussion with is that the way we tell our story somehow the crux of the story or something which should be the major point of the story becomes a backdrop when shikara came kashmir was incidental it could have been a love story in any kind of tragedy in any part of the world it didn't have to be that genocide it could have been a bomb blast somewhere it could have been a war somewhere right so every time we try to tell these stories somehow we just use them as a backdrop and uh, then we whitewash certain part of it like everyone got hurt everyone was at fault feelings yeah. were hurt so or the so social economic conditions were bad hence the events happened and it was everyone's mistake that needs to change and how we are to bring that change um yes that movie i i won't like to comment on it because then it sounds political but yes yeah. it was made by leftists mm-hmm. okay that was made by communist uh, people with leftist mindset and the uh, leftists have a great uh, very clever strategy i mean one of the finest strategies and i envy them for that what they do is they neutralize and dilute the argument in such a romantic manner that you will never even understand what's happened they'll talk about love equality human rights compassion empathy and these kind of things which you can't even fight they use right. women and children as as shields Mm-hmm. what they did in shahin bag what they were doing in america recently in riots you know they right. they, they use them so beautifully so you can't even attack them uh, physically they will use feminism as one of the weapons and they were they're smart mm-hmm. with that you know and uh, this is uh, so that's what they try to do with this film but the only way to do it is do not even care about them just 
go and tell your story. So with Kashmir files, what I have done is, I am. It's not my story. First of all, yeah. Okay, Buddha in a traffic jam was my story. Means I picked up some research and I told it the way I wanted to. Tashkent mm-hmm. files, I picked up the research and told the story I wanted to. And this time I'm not doing that. I'm just telling the story of the victims. What they told me, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not my story. You listen to them, see what happened to them, and you figure out what happened. So why should I romanticize or get into this political argument? And that's what I'm right. doing. And it's not ending there. Okay. Uh, Tashkent Files was my first series, first film in this uh, series. Second is this. And my next chapter is again a story which nobody even will ever dare to tell. So I have decided that rest of my life, if I have to make movies, I'm going to tell the stories which nobody is going to touch. If nothing else, there'll be debate around them. And people will say, okay, I have, what I have shown is wrong, propaganda, optimism, yeah. whatever you want to call. You come That's... with your best. Now, Tashkan Files, everybody tried to shut me up. The review, critics refused to review the film. They refused to release the film, but it ran for 100 days. And till right. date, not even one person has come with one criticism of the film. That's true. That's actually true. Yeah. Right. So, Kashmir Files, if they think, if this OTT platform which told me every time you say one Hindu was killed, you have to say one Muslim was also killed. Let them see the film. I'll ask them. Now you tell me what you think. True. True. So on that note, uh, Vivek, in favor of time, we'll move towards closing. And I have a few comments and questions from people. So I'll just read them out to you. Uh, Devi Mishra says, uh, right, you are. The communists have destroyed Indian culture and heritage. But my question is, how can we rewrite and restructure our own culture? History has to be rewritten to get rid of the so-called greats like Akbar and Nehru. If anyone speaks against them, he'll be called seditious or anti-national and will be thrown into the prison. Look also the way Gandhi is portrayed in the history books. One is led to believe that Indian independence was achieved by Gandhi and his blind coterie only. What about the contribution of millions of people? What's your take on this? Um, see, um, people like to remember stories, you know, mm-hmm. and the stories are not necessarily, they come from history books. Okay. Stories also yeah. come from what your grandmother has told you, what your, uh, parents have told you, what your friends have told you, what your, uh, teachers have told you, what your girlfriend has told you, or what is the gossip around it, you know? So, or memory also gets kind of shaped by what you start believing yourself. So you start yeah. getting in an ideological line, your memory starts believing things. Yeah, yeah. yeah selective, yeah. selective, um, yeah, yeah. selective exposure, selective retention, and all those right. things. So now Gandhi word has been hammered into our minds so many billions of times, millions of times, that it's very difficult to get rid of it, at least in our generations. Yeah, true. Okay, so I'm not going to fight that. Because fighting that would be not a very clever political strategy or communication strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, like Ambedkar. Now, Ambedkar wrote the Constitution of India. Right. And it's been hammered for political reasons so much that we nobody in this country knows that there were 15 women who were part of uh, the committee which wrote the Constitution. Right? Even the mm-hmm. champions of feminism never ever mentioned that 15 women also wrote the constitution of India. The same communists 
who exploit Ambedkar and all these people, they don't mention this. So what right. happens is when you hype up something so much or somebody so much, you somehow are doing injustice to lots of other people. The rest of the people. True. True. Their contribution. You know, and the same mistake I tell the current uh, narrative builders don't make this mistake. Don't make it around one person so much that you do injustice to thousands of people and lots of other great people who are doing great work. So mm -hmm. I'll tell you, the, whoever has asked the question, I'll tell you what is my formula for changing the narrative, which is you assume this responsibility that you are a narrative builder. Narratives will be built by millions of stories, not one story. Holocaust today is remembered by the world because there are thousands of films, documentaries, short films, literature, books around it. Everybody would have forgotten about Holocaust. There have been so many tragedies in this world, nobody remembers it. Sure. The modern generation doesn't even know about the uh, atom bombs, Helsinki and uh, Nagasaki uh, atom bombs. The modern young boys and girls don't know anything about it, the millennials, because there aren't so many millions of stories around it. There aren't so many films around it, but so many thousands and thousands of people died. So what you have to understand is that to build a narrative, you have to create millions of stories and millions of stories can be created by millions of people. Right. And luckily we are billions of people. We are more than a billion people. Right. So what I say is you tonight take a pledge that for next one year, I will write 365 stories. I will not sleep any day without writing a small story on my social media or on my WhatsApp groups, but I'll write one story. And that story doesn't have to be about Gandhi or Nehru or uh, Bose or Ramayana, Mahabharat and great people. That story has to be about you. That story has to be about your mother, the sacrifices of your mother. That story has to be about your local history. What is in that place where you were born? That story has to be about your own culture, your own food, about your things. You plant so many stories around about you that slowly the entire ecosystem is filled with only our stories. Otherwise, when you won't do that, these people will keep planting stories, anti-Shastri, um, uh, anti-Savarkar, um, uh, anti-Rama, anti-this, anti-that, and they will create anti-India stories. Right. Uh, Shripati Upadhyaya is asking why there are not many movies depicting history of Hindu civilization, glorifying Hindu rulers, such as Raja Daher of Sindh. So I think we discussed this at length in the beginning yeah, that uh, it's, there's a quotry and there's a clique which controls most of the what stories goes and what narratives are told. And uh, probably with indie filmmakers and individuals coming in and putting stories out or probably a demand generating because at the end of the day, it's also a business that people are running. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll quickly look through some other questions. We are very uh, tight on time now. Uh, Gautam again asked similarly. Very few Indians know about the plight of Hindus in Pakistan. Why? I assume the same reason that we discussed with genocide is that yeah, yeah. Want to create that narrative? Uh, Sudhir Pandey is asking. Hello, Vivekji. Namaste. I'm Sudhir from London. I've completed Urban Nexus a couple of days ago. I do not remember if I have finished reading any book in three, four days, such was the impact of this book. Looking forward to start reading Who Killed Shastri now. My question to you is, how can a positive narrative be created to counter the leftist anti-national narrative? 
um i just explained the only way is yeah. that whatever you read you see write reviews of this you know you have to amplify multiply you have to vocalize the thought if you feel that india is a great country then talk about greatness of india that's what i do i have i have a very simple formula i do not care about others in these interviews i analyze because people ask otherwise i just talk about the greatness of hindu civilization that's what i have taken upon myself similar so when you read who killed shastri you will find this book is about the role of uh, sacrifice simplicity and spiritualism mm -hmm. in politics and how by right. using these three things we can become a great country that's what the book is all about so i write about the greatness of our own civilization and that's my contribution so you can also do that write about greatness don't write about weaknesses right uh, so with that we'll close in favor of time vivek thanks a lot for taking your time out and spending the saturday evening with us for our audience in london and uh, thank you everyone who has joined it was really a great pleasure talking to vivek and it was a really fun discussion and uh, i really hope to hope host you in another session sometime in better times in london when we could do this uh, in person and have an audience sitting across the room and have this kind of discussion there so thanks thanks, thanks a lot nilend thanks a lot nilend to you and uh, indic academy and nilend it was great fun talking to you after a long time i am talking to somebody yeah. it's like uh, i mean i generally don't like sessions to go more than 40 45 minutes but this is something it really felt like we are sitting in london in one cafe and the night can go on and on i promise you when i come to london we'll do one on one session some yes yes and uh, till then all the best and my love and my um, best wishes to everybody in london and seasons greetings to all of you thank you vivek thanks a lot and thank you everyone for attending we'll close now thank you bye 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 bye